The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hello and welcome back to the Mix and Music Podcast. I'm your host DK and today with me we have the host of the Ableton Music Producer Podcast, Dan Griffin. What's up, Dan? What's up, man? How you doing? doing? Good, good, good. Hey, uh, I'm really glad that you made it to the show. This is an exciting one because I know not all of our listeners use Pro Tools or they're not all just mixers. In fact, I would say a good majority portion of our listeners are producers. Um, and right that right also dabble in engineering. So this is a good good, uh, good episode for you to jump on. Um, thank you so much for coming. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast, what you do, where you're from before we kind of get started? Yeah, man. No, I appreciate you for having me. This would be fun. I'm definitely an Ableton producer nerd of sorts. Uh, but yeah, I host the Ableton Music Producer Podcast, like you said interview a lot of really interesting people um like laura escaday it's like the first ableton certified trainer she's done playback for kanye and a lot of people like that in the industry anybody from like the live side because ableton live is originally made for live performance for anybody that didn't already know that um to like more the studio side so yeah i just get to like pick a bunch of people's brains and uh it's been fun because i feel like i've learned a lot in the last two years from when i started the podcast just aimlessly talking in my phone um, just really for my students, for my website that I teach through live producers online. Um, but then it just, eventually people started sharing it and I was like, wow, I could actually maybe do this for a living. This could be a job of me just randomly talking to people. Like that's <laughs> kind of fun. I'm into it now. So yeah, two and a half years later, almost my full-time job. So count myself pretty blessed to do that. It's a good time. That is so awesome. I, I'm sure that there's lots of things that I can learn from you about exactly doing that. So yeah, same that's to you. incredible. Thank you so much for joining us. So just a, a real quick pitch, real quick pitch. If Ableton Music Producer Podcast, what is it about? Who's your target audience? Like who is the pr- like the prime audience for your show? Uh, well, first and foremost, obviously Ableton Live users, but we do a lot of things like we've had several guests talk about um, mixing and mastering in Ableton Live. We've talked about setting up your productions for live performance, um, like basically taking stems. How do you set them up for major tours or shows or even smaller shows, whether you're DJing or playing with live instruments? Because you can, there's a lot of different ways of setting up a show, doing um, what we would call playback, which is really an entire industry in itself now, especially for large touring artists. Um, being the intermediary between taking their stems from the studio to live performance. So we've had some good guests that I've interviewed talking about that. 
um, a lot of nerding out with just audio and MIDI effects. Like tomorrow I'm releasing a podcast with a house techno producer called Bot. Um, he lives in LA, so you might've heard him, but I think there's a lot of people in LA for sure, but he's, he's pretty, he's pretty dope. He's done a lot of stuff with Dirty Bird and um, did the like major Kid Cudi day and night remix um, that went viral, had like 74 million streams. I'm not sure how many of those streams he got royalties for, but he's a he's super nice guy. And we talked about, just as an example to your question, like we talk about uh, a lot of Ableton Live devices using like spectral resonators, like a new Ableton Live 11 device. It's just freaking crazy. Um, That's awesome. So it's for producers, it's for potential, uh, what do you call it? The playback engineers. Yeah, yeah. But I think you said previously, uh, before we start recording, you, you also talk a little bit about recording and mixing and vocal production, just anything that's in within Ableton. So that's really cool. Are people that don't use Ableton able to understand what's going on? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I try to keep it kind of high level because I mean, unless you're screen sharing the whole time, you can kind of get lost in the sauce of like just being a nerd and going deep into the dark abyss of Ableton because it is like, it's a black hole, man. Like you can go pretty deep. I'm still learning stuff all the time about Ableton Live. And um, especially Max for Live. Are you familiar with Max for Live? I don't know Max for Live. Yeah. It's like the best description I ever heard was Ben Casey. He's a brand manager for Ableton. He said it's like digital duct tape. Basically anything that Ableton Live doesn't natively do on its own. Max for Live, you could custom create and code it to happen for you. So like I've, I've even gone to uh, like Loop a couple of years ago. Um, that's like Ableton's conference that they host um, every few years. And that was the last one in person was in LA. I think it was like four years ago. But the one guy was using Max for Live in Ableton just to like program robots, uh, just like for like motion and movement and stuff. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, so there's a lot you could do with it. There's always something to learn, which is like why I love the whole podcasting thing. I feel like, especially as like a music producer, like anybody who's producing music, you know that like you kind of have to step away from music at times. And that's, I feel like one reason podcasting is so great. Well, that's, that's super awesome. So if you want to check out, if that sounds interesting to you, go check out Ableton Music Podcast. Oh, Ableton Music Producer Podcast. Yeah. Let me say lot. that right. I got to say it syllables. once. Yeah. Let me say it once right in the show. God that's cool. Okay. Hey, doing great, dude. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Dan, can you tell us a little bit about what a playback engineer is. This is the, this is actually, so to be very fair, um, I was a professional performer in the early days of my career at one point, um, but I'm not really a live person. I've gone to one bigger live show. I mean, I've done dozens and dozens of independent, you know, smaller concert series or whatever. Yeah. But as far as like live shows, I went to go see Fun at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C., in like 2011. Nice. That's the, like the really only live. So I'm not really a live guy. I've always just been in the studio. Yeah, that's So I fair. don't know. I don't know anything about live stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what, um, what the playback engineer is? Yeah, man. It's uh, you wear a lot of hats. I'm. I think it's almost easier to explain what it isn't. Honestly, like when you go to like a major tour, playback engineering is is basically working with the artist and front of house and sometimes even the lighting or production team to make sure the sound and everything on stage is being synced up 
in the way that the artist wants it to happen. So it could be something as simple as like, hey, I'm going to work with the artist in the studio before the show and make sure that the banks on their MIDI controllers that they're playing on stage are switching at the right time for each song to I'm going to help them make their stems sound better that we got back from the mastering engineer and that the volumes or like the luffs are consistent throughout the entire set. Um, like things like that. So now how often does that happen even with high level where, where the label has paid for some nice mastering and mixing? How often are, are the songs inconsistent for PA playback? Um, I would say I would assume most of the mastering that they get is not meant for live playback. It's meant for. Right. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I assume you have to tell me, I assume the requirements and, and everything, it just feels a little bit more different in a, in a live room than it is like in your car. Well, no, then you're that's a great point too, man, because every speaker system, every venue sounds a little bit different, you know, like the, you got to work with the room, especially in the studio, like you're referencing the crap out of your mixes before it goes out into the world, right? Because you just never know where people are listening. Same's kind of true for, you know, the live show world, right? On huge systems. So it's kind of a, a game of like, really expecting the mastering engineer to pull up and try to make everything sound consistent. But I think more often than not, usually as long as the artists, especially at a higher level, like when you're talking about people who are like full-time playback engineers, they're working with mastering engineers who really know what they're doing, you know, and it's not that big of a concern consistently. Usually, you know, a lot of times, hopefully they're working with the same mastering engineer for most of the songs. I assume all that prepping is done before the show. Like you're not mastering it on the spot. No. Although, dude, I could tell you stories, though, man. Like, there's so uh, Laura Eskide, I mentioned her earlier. She's a good friend. Um, and I actually a lot, owe a lot to her for learning playback. Uh, and she's in LA and she runs a team called Electronic Creatives. And so she only accepts so many people into what she calls her master track. So she accepts like 15 people like every year or two. Um, and then does like intensive, comprehensive training on playback and her systems uh, with redundancy, meaning that you have two of everything. So if like one laptop goes down, you're screwed, right? So you have to have double of everything happening at the same time and syncing it up. And so that's where a lot of her secret sauce is with redundancy, Wow. Um, which was really cool to learn her workflow with that. But but yeah, going back to like what you were saying is is a lot of it is just working with the artists and being like, okay, how do you want to perform live? Because I'm sure, you know, you say you don't go to tons of shows, but like, I'm sure you've been to a show where you knew a song, right? And you love that song. And then when the artist plays it, it's a little different. And it's like that excitement where you're like, oh shit, this is like new, you know? And you get excited because you already love that track. So I think that's really cool when artists want to take almost kind of a live remix of their stems that's definitely a playback engineering's job a lot of times. Just be like, okay. So, so, so with one of my favorite performances that I see live, I mean on YouTube, was Bruno Mars performing Perm on the BET Awards like a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Perm was totally different. It was like more uh-huh. dancey. It was like almost a different song. That was the playback engineer. Uh, maybe not. I mean, he could have done that in the studio and all pre-programmed it. But a lot of times, if you're making minor tweaks, like, hey, I'm just going to cut out the verse. I want to go straight into the chorus. Oh, doing okay. like a, a lot of hard cuts and like that is usually definitely more on 
the playback engineering side a lot of times, you know, um, I see, I see, I see, but you could do a lot of stuff. Like for example, um, <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but there was, uh, of a trio in the country music scene that has won like, I think like 16 Grammys now or something. And I, I had the opportunity to work with them in Nashville and we're sitting down and they, I get all their stems. Half of them were mastered. The other half sounded like a fourth grader mixed it in his garage. And I was kind of like literally had to figure out how to like limit and do quick EQ and then rebounce those stems and really tighten it up. And then they want to do a bunch of cuts and changes with a bunch of MIDI controllers we were syncing up. That was real interesting. So uh, <laughs> that was a fun crash course on like just getting thrown into the fire and be like, oh, wow, Dan, you got to figure out how to like do 60,000 things in this like six hour session that we had today because they're going on tour for their new album release in a week. So have fun with that. But there's wow. a lot of it could be a lot of pressure, man, uh, as a playback engineer, for sure. But I think it's it's been really helpful for me. You know, where this is the mixing music podcast. Right. So it's been helpful for me to to really think about, like, how can I mix something the fastest I possibly can and just try to make it sound clean um, and consistent for, you know, 12 songs in like a 40, 45 minute set or something like that. That's um, interesting. So it's like a lot of last minute while you're going type work. It can there's, be. Yeah. yeah and, and I assume there's some prep work that you can do as well. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, anytime and I work with an artist like doing playback engineering, I always definitely would like to have all the stems a week in advance before practice, just so I can really listen and set them up for them and have some time to do all that prep and automation. So, well, you said to practice. So that means like you, part of it is like you set it up to do all those cuts before. Part of it is like, doing it on the spot like you're you're playing it yeah it really depends on the band like um trying to think of a great example i mean there's a there's bands like um i guess da vinci do you know who da vinci is he was really famous with the mpc coming up as a finger drummer for them um and he he's he did some playback engineering for uh miss lauren hill and some other people and with her he was also the drummer and the playback engineer like he finger drums and he also ran ableton and her stems and her backing tracks all at once um wow. and then running time code a lot of times depending on the tour if it's a huge production tour uh running time code out of ableton as well to sync up with the lighting and the cameras and other stuff that's going on or running osc i guess for the lighting and then time code for your cameras um, it's a lot of stuff, but it depends. It really depends on the artist. It can change. So, and, and playback engineering is obviously you're on tour all the time. So for anybody that's listening right now, um, that might be interested and in kind of trying to figure out what they want to do with their music career path and what they want to strive for. What is playback engineering like most ideal for? Like what kind of person, what, what kind of things do you like or, like, should they be interested in, it sounds like if you're really into live shows, if you're down to be on stage with the artist, maybe even like what kind of things would you recommend or like kind of traits that would be best for yeah. a playback engineer? Uh, have like thick skin and be able to work with some divas and know how to work with people and be a good communicator. And I guess be really good, maybe not sleeping and being in high stress environments 
I'm selling it really well right now, I feel like, but <laughs> but those are all real things, I guess. But like, I mean, you're like, if you said you're on the stage a lot of the times, like you're not just in the back sometimes. Uh, it depends. It depends on the okay. show. It, and the, like I said, like, uh, you know, for Da Vinci, for example, like he he's also the drummer. Um, Peter Dyer, who is an amazing keyboardist, plays for American Idol. Uh, he was on my podcast as well. And he he plays sometimes keys on stage supporting the artist and does the playback. So, you know, it just depends. You know, I think you are actually more valuable as an instrumentalist in the playback world, uh, depending, you know, if you really vibe with the artist. I know a handful of people and friends in the industry who are just like, yo, you're a really dope drummer and you can do all this for the tour and the band. I would love to have you come with us, you know, and that's a real thing. So I think that makes you more valuable if you wanted to get into that as a career. Um, somebody, it, it can be lonely on the road. I think like if you're traveling all the time, you know, if you have a, a family and you got two kids and a dog and you want the, the studio white picket fence dream, like probably not for you. Um, Cause you just never know when you're going to be gone or get a call and have to be on the road. So and let's let's get to the real let's get to the real reason why someone might want to do this because it's connected with live shows. I assume that there's more money than a home studio involved. <laughs> there can be. Yeah. Yeah. Depending okay. on who you're working for, there could be. Yeah. It, it can be a pretty good paying career path. What's the demand like right now for playback engineers? Well, I'll say it's definitely better than it was a year ago. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I mean, because oh, yeah. <laughs> of COVID and everything, man, it was wild. A lot of people have just been sitting around since then. It's been hard. But I but, mean, like for right right now, I feel like culturally, like the supply of people wanting to be engineers and producers is much higher mm-hmm. than the demand and the need for them. Yeah. What about for playback engineers? Is there, because oh, this is something that I, like I do music full time and I don't think I've ever heard of a playback engineer. So this is wild to me. Is yeah, there, yeah. I don't know anything about this industry. Totally. It's booming, man. It's really exploded. Um, you know, I'm 32. I started getting into the playback thing like two and a half years ago. So it's, for me, it's still a little fresh. I mean, there's people who've been doing it for a long time. They used to call them space bars. That was like the joke back in the day, because literally like it was in Pro Tools. And a lot of times, you know, in Pro Tools was like the, the number one main doll years ago and, and like for any kind of playback on stage. Um, so you just hit space bar and then what you hit play, you just go like that's that's the show. Right. And then now with like technology and like, you know, dolls have evolved and especially with Ableton Live, you can be a lot more flexible in your sets and improvise. So it's become a specialty really on stage too, um, setting up live performance and also syncing lights. But it's definitely a growing industry, man. It's booming for sure more now than I think it ever has, especially now that shows are really starting to come back and venues are getting booked up like crazy, it seems like. So This is incredible. That's incredible. That's really cool. I've, ne- I've literally, like, I feel really ignorant right now. I've never heard of a playback engineer and I'm no, really that's cool, man. this up. It's a and, thing. Uh, so let's say uh, someone listening right now wants to get into it. What are the first steps? Like, what do you do? How do you, what are there like YouTube channels or like obviously your podcast? Like, what are some ways that someone can kind of get into it? Yeah, man, I think two things. I think number one is just get really fast at using a software like Ableton Live. Um, is, is it exclusively Ableton in I, that world or? I would say definitely probably 90% 
Ableton and then maybe like 10% main stage. <laughs> There's like still, you know, I, that's, I might be biased. Main stage being like the logic counterpart, right? Kind of. Yeah. 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 I mean, people, some people like, um, drawing a huge blank. Oh shit. There's a couple of people out there that use logic. Um, but <laughs> Ableton's really built for live performance, especially with both session and arrangement views gives it more versatility, but I think, you know, Bitwig is another one too, but it just, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be as common or popular in that playback world. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely I'd say for advice, anybody that wants to get into it, I would say get really fast at using a doll like Ableton live. And because you just, you never know, like people will throw stuff at you. It'll be side stage and the show starts in five minutes. They're like, Hey, can you actually just cut out that song? And then we'll just like have this transition different. And you're like, Oh, cool. We're, we're playing in five minutes. Yeah. That sounds great. Let me just do like 20 minutes of work in five minutes, you know, and just like go in and, and you do it. You just have to be quick. So that's the thing. Just get really fast at it. Um, and then also, go to shows like if you don't already have connections with bands or in the genre that maybe you want to work with just start going to shows and supporting the shit out of that artist and if they're not already huge and there's like gatekeepers and stuff like just maybe go up to them after the show like start smaller you know like a mid-cap venue go there stick around wait until people are tearing down go introduce yourself say hey i'm like really getting into playback would love to just do like a free session with you and maybe show you how I could optimize some of your live setup or, you know, if they're not already using a laptop on stage. And how do you, how do you, how do you go and learn what the heck optimizing your live setup even is? Yeah, no, for sure. So I like do from like, I'm talking like <laughs> baby steps. Like, yeah, no, I do teach. I mean, this is going to be like shameless promo, but please, I, I do, I do teach through my website, liveproducersonline.com. Um, I have a master class as well for anybody who wants to do like a year mentorship with me. And it really depends on the person and what they're wanting to do. Um, so that there's a lot to learn in that field. So I would say if anybody who's really serious about it, that could be an option. Or I also have like a membership where you can just at your own pace learning. I have a course on how to set up live performances in Ableton Live already. Um, it's pretty cheap, free seven day trial. So what was that website one more time? Yeah, it's lifeproducersonline.com. Dope, dope. And awesome. also, and also, if you're already in LA, then like yourself, then Laura Escaday has um, Master Track, and she also has another course that she does for people who want to get into that as well. She's a, she's a good friend, so I have to shout her out too, and she's taught me a lot. Yeah. Dope, dope, awesome. So I have to do a shameless pitch now as well. Do it. Uh, we'll take turns. Uh, I'd like to take a moment right now uh, to thank our sponsors real quick. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast. Um, first up, let's talk about Isotope. Do you ever use Isotope in your shows or well, in your productions and stuff? Not for live performance, but definitely. I actually use Insight too for balancing some of the track volume. There yeah. you go. I use I use Insight all the time, like Insight yeah. for the metering and like volume and love it. Oh, it's so good! It's so good. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I know that when we were talking about mastering earlier, uh, not only is that great to like kind of measure LUFS, like, um, but I use Ozone a lot in both mixing and in mastering. Same. So 
Yeah, so there you go. There you go. So thank you so much for sponsoring Isotope. If you're interested in purchasing some Isotope products, go to isotope.com backslash mmpodcast and use the code mmpod10 to get 10% off your next order. Once again, that's isotope.com backslash mmpodcast, code mmpod10. Uh, that is not including uh, monthly subscriptions or the Spire uh, hardware unit. Um, also, uh, as always, thank you so much to FilePass. FilePass is the online software, just like Dropbox, where you can share files with clients um, or with anybody. Uh, you can set up paywalls so they can't download it unless the client pays for it, so no more leaky runaway files <laughs> and leaks in your income anymore. Um, and it's absolutely great. And j- unlike Dropbox and Google Drive, during playback, it plays full resolution wave files. So they get the full listening for experience. So for that, um, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com um, and then click on our sponsors list and you can see the website, FilePass. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could keep go- we, can, we can keep going on about the playback stuff, but um, what else? Like, what are, you, what, what are you kind of like going back to on your podcast? Like, what kind of topics do you just keep returning back to because you feel like it's so important that people just have a hard time understanding dude honestly so one of my favorite recent podcasts was i already mentioned him da vinci and he talks about the flow state and i feel like the whole mental side of music is something that people don't talk about enough you know like we could sit here and go to youtube university all day on our own and learn and stretch our minds like find out little production hacks and little like technical tweaks and tips but like, honestly, man, I feel like the mental side of producing is, is a lot of times the hardest part. It's just getting out of your own head. Um, and he shares a lot of really good tips with that. Um, but one, like speaking of the technical side, like one thing, one tip that I always use with, it, with mixing or producing or anything is if you play with it more than three times and you don't know what's up or down, you're fine. Just move on. So I've kind of adopted that philosophy. If I'm like playing with some compressor setting, you know, I've got everything dialed in, attack release, but I'm just like, I'm playing with the threshold. I was like, maybe a little more, maybe less, maybe I'm tired. Maybe I haven't slept in two days. And you've heard the same song 642 billion times. And you just like, you just can't get it. And you're like, it just doesn't feel, just move on. It's okay. Like, cause if you keep playing with it more than three times, I'm just like, I'm all right. I'm just going to move on. And then if I need to come back to it another time, I will. Yeah, so that's, absolutely. that's, I think as a workflow, it's easy to get in your head and just, you don't even know what's up or down anymore sometimes. Uh, so that, that was always been helpful for me. And, and then as far as getting in the flow state as a producer, like you said, a lot of people in this podcast are producers. I think uh, like comparison kills creativity a lot of times. So for me, like I will always usually when I'm mixing or I'm like towards the end of the production stage of a song, I like to tune my ears. I know you've talked about this on the podcast before, but just like referencing tuning in your ears, trying to get into that moment. And, uh, and then sometimes like I'll go into my track and maybe the song I just listens to and it listened to and referenced is maybe in a different genre. And I just go into my song. And it's like, Oh, it doesn't, doesn't feel the same or whatever, but like I'm giving myself more permission for that to be okay. Like, and just really make music that I love more than trying to compare myself to other people's tracks all the time, you know? And if it sounds good, it sounds good. Like I could play with the same thing for six years, but now I'm just trying to release more music and just get into the flow of like making music that makes me happy. And, 
and not being so concerned about what everybody else thinks about it, which can be tough. It's a real thing. Seems like no, doctor. It, it really is. It yeah. really is like the, the mental health part, you know, staying healthy with it. it it's super important. Like, yeah. I feel like that's one of the reasons why, like I respect artists so much. Cause I know, I think like the normal average person will look at someone that seems very narcissistic and, and dumb. But what I see <laughs> is like uh, a strength like, I mean, like in the sense that, especially with people that kind of are a little bit more self-aware, right? Mm-hmm. We know that the answer is to not care. Like, don't care what anybody else thinks. And I've said this before on the podcast. I've said, uh, the moment you start caring and doing things for other people is the moment you stop doing it, stop becoming an artist. And, mm. <laughs> and like, in that, like, and truthfully, even if we understand that fully, to do it on purpose is a whole nother story. Like yeah. to just not care and to just like be you authentically. Yeah. First off, you need to figure out what you is after being pretending to be somebody else for all your entire life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> being a consumer. All right. And then on top of that, like you got to figure it out. And yeah. Yeah. this is, this is, it's so, so when I see, when someone talks crap on, an artist like let's say like Lil Pump, who is famously famously ignorant, Lil or like Six Nine, you know, like <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like famously ignorant. And <laughs> what I see is a superpower called blissfulness. And maybe they got it on accident without choice because they're not as self aware. But I can't do it on purpose, even though I am more self aware. Yeah. Like I can't. And yeah. oh boy, oh boy, how much would I give to do it on purpose? Hmm. To do it at all? Yeah. So I think that that is a that is a huge. I, I really respect artists that are willing to sacrifice so much and, and yeah. give so much for that. Yeah, I think it's a hard thing too, man. It depends on who you're producing for too, right? Because if you're a ghostwriter or a ghost producer, you know, you've got commercial interests you need to work towards as well. So oh, absolutely. That, you know, but if you're just making music for yourself as an independent artist, then yeah, fuck all that, dude. Just like do you and and make music that you love and and go down your own path and stay true to you. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that as well, for sure. Um, there was a, um, oh gosh, what is his name? Uh, I was I was mentioning him on a previous episode, um, but there's a quote from a book that I was reading recently that talked about that. And I have totally lost it. It's I'm okay. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I totally lost it's it. So funny. Oh, I remember. I remember what it was. It was um, to have practical empathy. Oh, okay. Like you, you don't. You gotta have. Like you can't just do it for yourself. Hmm. And granted, like you can't not be influenced by anything. So it's like if you were to do something totally unaccepted by anybody else, that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you gotta have a practical amount of empathy. I think that yeah. I think that's what you're talking about. Like with a ghostwriter, with a songwriter, producer, like you can't just be totally selfish and like this is for me and make it sound like shit. You can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like especially as an artist or a songwriter, producer, it's like you. I feel like your job is to be to emote for people who are unable to on their own. Yeah. And to and to just like any artist in 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 all forms of artistry, right? Even outside of audio and music. Mm-hmm. Um, to introduce and normalize new perspectives, right? Uh, I think it was, um, there was a, I don't care how you feel about the dude. I, I love his, his, his uh, talks on creativity. Jordan Peterson did an interview with um, 
an art curator in Canada for college. And he talked about creativity and what that means and how most people truly aren't creative. Hmm. And like, uh, like anybody can imagine things and like see things in their mind if they try really hard, but to like, I assume just like you and I, like if we were being told you have to work a nine to five and work for somebody else for the rest of your life, we will die. Yeah. (laughs) You you can't, you can't. Right. And he, he talks about with creativity, like, um, when cubism was a thing, when it first came out, people would come into these art exhibits and would physically react in anger. Like, oh my gosh, this isn't art. Like, what is this? And they would get angry at a visual image. And uh, now they sell cubist artwork at Target for 20 bucks a dime. Yeah, you know, 20 bucks for a pack of 10. Yeah. Like, it's super normal. Um, yeah. So it's, it's the artist's, it, it may take a long time, but I feel like it's the artist's job and thus the producer and thus the engineer and, and all of our combined efforts to introduce and normalize new perspectives into the world yeah yeah i think that's a hard job it is a hard job especially when i think a lot of artists have to wear a lot of hats these days that maybe they didn't before um they mean you gotta have your social media on point if you want to continue to stay engaged with fans you gotta like you know set up your song for distribution after you spend dozens and dozens of hours creating it you have to create a little marketing plan of how you're going to reach people with the song who maybe haven't heard it before if you don't have a label backing you you have you know so many things you gotta do and it can be really overwhelming but i think um that's why, and actually, this is going down a whole nother rabbit trail right now. I'm just like, this, I know, I know. I'm this sorry, is my, I'm sorry. This, no, this is cool. I'm, I'm into it, dude. We're both ADD. This is, we should have expected this. It's just like going down. No, but um, I started realizing that I wasn't releasing as much music and it wasn't because I didn't have time, but I was using time as an excuse. And I was recognizing, um, have you ever heard of the book called The War of Art? The War of Art. I have heard of it, but I yeah. have not read it. Somebody, I forget who it was on my podcast, mentioned it to me. Um, and so I just bought it because I heard it like three times from three different people. But he talks about resistance as an artist and how resistance is really the core of why you don't accomplish your dreams as an artist and move forward and reach your goals. And he talks about, uh, one of the first things he talks about is procrastination. And I find myself, I used to do this all the time without even realizing it subconsciously. Uh, But he says procrastination is the most common manifestation of resistance because it's the easiest to rationalize. And we don't tell ourselves, I'm never going to write my symphony. Instead, we say, I'm going to write my symphony, but I'm also going to just do it tomorrow instead. So you just kind of push it off. Right. And it's uh, it's just really interesting. His perspective in the book of talking about maybe like our motivations and why we don't accomplish our goals with music and how procrastination a lot of time is just kind of a, a way we rationalize ourselves to not actually do it in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, but it's good, man. And uh, I, I think, I don't know, all the people out there listening, it's funny. I'm sure if you've been producing music for a while, you've listened to like some of your old tracks that like maybe you were first producing and you're like, holy shit, I'm so glad. I'm where I'm at now because back then you're like, this is dope. Like I just made this banger. It's awesome. And then, you know, fast forward four or five years, like you would go back and listen to that track and be like, Oh, there's like 6 billion things I would fix, you know, because like with time builds experience. And so like, I I just encourage anybody out there. If you get frustrated with your mixing, if you get frustrated with your producing, 
Like you just got to put in the time and and find a way to practice loving practice. I think that's yeah. like, that's the key, man. Is like, if you can find a way, you may hate it and that's fine. You probably will at some point, but if you can find a way to continue to stay in love with doing it for the sake of just doing it and not being so concerned with like the likes or the follows or all the, the fandom that might come with it, which can still be a motivator. That's okay. But if you're doing it for the sake of doing it for just the love of doing it and then love the practicing to get to that place that you want to be, that's like the key to success. If you could just figure out a way to love practicing, which I love melodics. Have you ever played with melodics, that desktop app? Uh, I have not. It's fun. You can plug in like any MIDI controller almost or electronic drum set. It's like Guitar Hero, but for like professional producers. Huh. Yeah, it's fun. Like disclaimer, they actually sponsor my podcast, but I do love them. Like I'm just saying it because I think they're great. It's a fun product. Uh, but yeah, they make practicing fun. It's a good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, that's a big message in the book that the practical empathy where that came from. I just remembered it's it's the practice by Seth Godin. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he talks, it's and a, great he talks book, a lot man. about that, like the practice about enjoying the process of what you can control and what you can't control is the results. Yeah, <laughs> dude. And going true. back to what you were saying, like the artist now, especially like the performer, right? and how their job now and how wildly different it is. Like there's so many producers out there and producing production as a job has just gotten so much more skillful and people have just gotten so good at it mm-hmm. that the need for an artist to be very musical and talented as a singer or as a guitar player, or as a drummer has gotten lower and lower on the priority list. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I just want to mention this, um, to kind of flip it around because I see a lot of people online like complaining about it, like being really bummed about it. It's like, oh, pop music sucks nowadays and all that jazz. And the fact of the matter is it still takes a lot of talent to make music like that, yeah. to produce music that people like. I mean, like, I guarantee you you know how difficult it is to write a song that people like, you know, <laughs> or yeah. whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> you can't just copy it. It's um, true. It's funny, and, man. And, go ahead, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, as well as, like, um, I think that the reason why, like, artistry and, like, talent, like, there's way too many buckets you have to fill. Like you said, you have to be social media guy. You have to be, you have to be really into acting and, and, or actress or whatever. And you have to be into uh, fashion and design. You have to be into artwork. You have to be a performer, which is a different, performer entertainer, which is a different skill from a musician. You have to be well-spoken and comedic. Like, you have to have people like planning your life and being okay with some sort of inflexibility with your schedule. You have to go on tour. Like there's way so much that you have to handle Yeah, and it all requires a team. And the fact of the matter is because there's so many people wanting to do music because it's such a cool job to have Yeah, the quality of the supporting teams around them, including like jobs like your own and mine have just gotten so good. I mean, even in the mixing world, I mean, you listen to a record that was made in like the 70s and the 80s. And then you listen to a home record that was made by some local amateur dude. Yeah. It's going to sound wildly better. Oh, totally. Just because of like... Technology. Just because of technology. It's, it's dumb. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. and because of that, it's like there's such a new world. 
and we can't really complain about the artists. Like we can't, we shouldn't be right. um, because they're the ones that are providing jobs and sacrificing more for us than anything. Like without That's artists, true. we wouldn't be here. So, I mean, I totally so I, I agree. Kinda, man. I kind of ranted. Excuse no, I, I'm I'm here for it. No, that's tight. I, I agree. I totally agree. I think that's another reason why it's really important for people to recognize maybe what's the best way to make a music career for them. Because if you aren't like su- super social, maybe you don't want to play shows. Maybe you don't even want to produce a lot of music and have to worry about the headache of releasing it and doing your own artist label thing. You know, maybe somebody is a little more introverted they don't want to play shows. Maybe they want to make a fat paycheck for licensing. You know, if they do sync, you know, sync licensing, if you just, if you can get in on the sync deal, there's a lot of money to be made in certain circles there for sure. As a producer, um, like writing for, if you got like even just a 30 second jingle on Netflix or something, you could be getting checks in the mail for a little while. It's pretty nice. So, I mean, there's a lot of different, a lot of different ways to make a career doing music too. So yeah, like with the, with the internet, it's like, there's just so many ways you can provide for yourself. Just making music in any capacity now, it seems like. That's right. That's right. Um, Dan, one more time real quick. What is the name of your website? Yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, liveproducersonline.com. Also, I produce music as Philia. If anybody likes electronic, funky, bass infused music. Like future funk? A uh, little future funky, but um, I guess a little more experimental bass infused into funk kind of side. I don't even know. Isn't that the worst? And people are like, what's your genre, man? It's like, <laughs> well, it's a little bit of this and like five other things mixed into it. Yeah. No, but that's, yeah, P-H-I-L-I-A music. So that's the handle, at Philia Music. I'm on the gram mostly. But Dope. if anybody that, wants to hang out. Is that your main account on Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. That's Dope. where I hang out a lot. And as well as if you're listening and you're interested in any of the things that we talked about today, go check out Ableton Music Producer Podcast. Uh, I assume it's available on Spotify and Apple. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. All that jazz. The interweb. Pretty much anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dan, if next time you come out to LA, make sure you hit me up. I'm going to, I'm going to get you on the gram. Dude, absolutely, uh, man. You have to hit me up. I'm going to, I'm going to get mad if you don't hit me up (laughs) if you're in LA. Well, I'll be pissed. I'm in Indianapolis for the time being. We'll see how long that lasts right now because of COVID and everything finally going back to normal or whatever normal is. But yeah, dude, if I'm in LA, which will probably be a lot more often now, then yeah, I'll definitely hit you up. We'll hang out. It'll be fun. We'll nerd out on some isotope and shit. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. Um, To everybody listening, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Later. One, two, three. Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once a week episodes, you get three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.